Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Did you know that FDA has a new program called the Experiential Learning Program, where uh, CDRH is interested in coming to medical device companies, uh, manufacturers, service providers, and, and so on, to learning about certain areas such as biocompatibility and and in vitro diagnostics and combination products and so on. Well, on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, Mike Drews and I talk a little bit about this experiential learning program. And be sure to check out the links that accompany the podcast so that you can learn more. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, the founder and DP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And my guest today is Mike Drews with Vascular Sciences. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, John. Great to speak with you today. You know, sometimes we, we dive into sort of the weeds or, or and other times we, we talk a little bit more philosophically. And I think today may be more the latter where we're going to speak about this program that um, is in place at FDA. It's called the uh, CDRH experiential learning program and i know you know i don't know by the time this goes live for folks that they'll have uh, an activity or an op- opportunity actually to to participate in this particular round but, but i thought we could talk a little bit about this experiential uh, learning program uh, what do you think i think that would be a great idea john so what do you know about this program i mean it's it's to, to my knowledge it's pretty new. Um, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about it myself. I've been researching it, trying to learn a little bit more, but are you familiar with this program? I am, John, and thanks again for the opportunity to talk about this. Uh, You mentioned it's new. Well, this particular version of the program is new, but to be fair, FDA has had a number of um, both formal as well as informal uh, initiatives to try to encourage uh, reviewers and companies to spend more time together. In some cases, they would invite folks from companies into the FDA to do a little show and tell. This is sort of the opposite. This is the an opportunity for companies to invite FDA reviewers and other CDRH staff to come and visit the company on site. And so, um, you know, the idea in a nutshell is the better uh, that the reviewers understand the development process that medical devices go through, the better they can work effectively with the companies to get medical devices onto the market, which is uh, obviously all of our goal. But uh, like everything, John, there are advantages and disadvantages, and that's you know something that I think we can get into here. Yeah. So I guess a couple of questions that kind of, and I've looked over the, the current list of, of areas that you know, FDA is soliciting participation um, from industry. But I guess one question that comes to mind it, it, is, is it our job as a medical device companies, is it, is it their job to teach CDRA, our CDRH staff on, on how medical devices are developed? I mean, is it, shouldn't this be, I mean, should it be the other way around? I mean, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, that is indeed a, a terrific question, John. Um, and let me phrase it a little bit um, uh, more provocatively. And that is, do we really want people working 
FDA reviewing medical devices who have never been involved in bringing a medical device onto the market in the first place. You know, is this the sort of you know, learning to do surgery who from somebody who has never done surgery themselves before, but has learned about it by reading it in a book? You know, I would like to think that would be equally familiar with the development process as the folks working in companies. But obviously, that's not always the case. Well, I mean, and, and yeah, it seems I'm, I'm going to get the initiative here. And I, I I think at least, you know, from my outside looking in observation or, or vantage point, it does seem like recently um, within the past couple of years, there's a lot of programs that are now in place with FDA, the experiential learning uh, being one, things like the pre-submission program that you and I have talked about being another case for quality, um, you know, being a third, where it seems like FDA is is making, you know, attempts to really be more collaborative and, and interactive with medical device companies. But, you know, with that being said, I mean, if I were to invite CDRH to come visit my facility to learn about medical device product development or X or Y or Z, I mean, how realistic is that visit going to be? Well, listen, John, um, you know, let me be crystal clear here because I don't want you our audience to misunderstand, you know, the intent of our conversation. I'm all for more communication and I'm all for face-to-face communication, whether it happens within the buildings of the FDA, whether it happens within uh, a device company, I don't really care. But you just hit the nail on the head. How realistic is this communication? You know, CDRH wants their staff to become more familiar with uh, the development process. That's, you know, of course, an admirable goal. But when CDRH staff comes into a company, will they be exposed to a real open and honest discussion that should be held within a company when we develop our medical devices every single day? Or will everybody in the company be on their best behavior, so to speak, when an FDA visitor is the building? I mean, both very, very uh, experienced when it comes to manufacturing inspections. You know, usually the, all of the employees are notified in advance and everybody is on their best behavior and, you know, nobody really wants to say anything. So the question is, how realistic is this going to be? It's going to be open and honest or is it going to be very, you know, filtered and sanitized? That's an interesting question. Yeah, and and you and I talked uh, recently, sort of about the um, best practices or of highly effective quality, true quality professionals. And one of the, I think one of the things that I had mentioned is, you know, you shouldn't behave or act differently just because there's an FDA inspection uh, happening or an ISO audit happening. And and this would be one of those examples. If if CDRH is on on site at your facility, this should be business as normal for the most part. I mean, granted, you're teaching CDRH here, but but if you change your behavior just because you have an FDA visitor in the building, there, there might be something else that you need to focus on. Um, and well, you're, other- you're right, John. I, I could not agree with you more, but on the other hand, I don't think that you and I certainly did not uh, fall off the turnip truck. No. <laughs> no, not at all. But at the same time, I mean, it seems to me that that um, you know, this could work to my advantage as a medical device company. If if I believe I have a good practice or a good process, and I want to be known for that within you know the regulatory circles, if you will, that this potentially might be a great opportunity for me to kind of toot my own horn, so to speak. 
That's actually uh, correct, John, and uh, thank you for bringing that up because I think the folks that are more savvy in our audience are going to realize that using this program or similar program uh, can be a huge advantage to us. If we're doing something for the first time as a company or if we're doing something differently or if we're doing something better, that would give us the opportunity to invite the FDA to come in to kind of teach them what we're doing, but more importantly, to set are so that this is sort of expectation that FDA has, and now our competitors have to meet our particular, uh, you know, expectation the way, where they set the bar. So now we're talking about a much more sophisticated way to use regulatory or quality strategy using this tool that FDA just gave us to our advantage. Now, I'm, I know just as many, uh, uh, probably more people are going to think uh, more skeptically than that, Mike. I, I can imagine that um, the skeptics out there are going to be saying, yeah, this just seems like a, a sneaky program for FDA to come in and see what's going on really at my company and, and secretly take notes uh, so that they can send that over to to a future inspector to to, <laughs> to come and, and ding me for things. I mean, um, any thoughts about that? Well, I do, John. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, again, you're critical here, but FDA is quite clear in their announcement. And let me just read a portion of it for the benefit of our audience. These formal training visit, visits are not intended for agency staff to inspect a uh, sorry, to inspect, assess, judge, or perform regulatory function such as um, compliance inspections and so on. But best of intention aside, John, if an FDA visitor happens to notice something in a company that they're doing or alternatively that they're not doing, let's just say it's quite kosher, so to speak, what are they expected to do with that information? Are they expected to just sit on it and, you know, not tell anybody? I'm not sure that would be an ethical thing to do. If they are telling, going to tell somebody, then they have just violated the intention of this program. So clearly these kinds of words in these statements from FDA are written from the, you know, by the politicians at FDA, it sounds good. It makes people feel good. But what does it really mean in reality? And, yeah. and, and finally, John, will the really want to take risk? You know, assuming that they don't know of any problems. On one hand, you have, as we just talked about, the opportunity to invite the uh, CDRA staff to come in to educate them. But on the other hand, you're taking calculated risk that, gee, if they do, uh, uh, find something that doesn't quite smell right, you know, have now just created a problem where no problem existed before. Yeah, it's it's um, it's a rhetorical question that I don't really have a good answer to, but certainly something to, to weigh in as as companies consider whether or not this program is something that they want to participate in. It, it might be helpful if we share, at least in this current round of, of the uh, experiential learning program, some of the areas that CDH CDRA uh, wants to train their staff, and, and uh, those areas include things like biocompatibility, combination products, clinical trials, uh, device development, digital health, uh, software, IVDs, et, et cetera. But, um, you know, if, if there's a CDRH uh, 
person or staff that that's already working in in one of these areas, Mike, I, I got to believe that they should already have some subject matter expertise. Um, what do you think about that? Well, John, I, I agree with you 100 percent. Somebody is working in FDA in any of the areas that you just mentioned, whether it's biocompatibility or in vitro diagnostics or what have you, I would certainly like to believe that they already have quite a bit of subject matter expertise in those areas. And quite frankly, if they walked into a company and learned something new, you know, that's indicative of a whole new set of problems. You know, so but on the other hand, I also like I said I didn't just fall off the turnip truck yesterday. That's not always the case. There are folks in FDA and to be fair, John, there are also a lot of folks working at companies who are doing things that they've never been trained to do, that they've never um, are not subject matter experts experts in. And right. uh, you know, I happen to be, as we've talked about before, John, a recognized subject matter expert for FDA in a few different areas. I take that responsibility very seriously. I would like to think that others uh, would feel the same. Right. And I mean, I don't, what I read of this is that this is a pretty one-sided exchange where the medical device company is sharing with FDA. Do you know, is, is CDRH, are they sharing their experiences with the medical device company too, so that there's, you know, true collaboration? Do you, do you have a sense of that? You know, that's a good question, John. I would like to think that since FDA is putting this offer out to industry, which is, again, let me be clear, an admirable goal, that that would be a two-way street, that FDA would also be willing to share with companies their experience, their practices. They don't have to mention, you know, specific company names or anything like that, obviously, but share that kind of information to truly work in a collaborative uh, fashion. I would like to think that, but at least in my experience, John, and perhaps you or others might might disagree, that street usually does not run in two directions Mm -hmm. because FDA is very sensitive. I would say hypersensitive, probably too sensitive, giving a company information about how a competitor doing something or something like that. Um, you know, there are, there are proprietary issues. There are uh, conflict of interest, but those can be managed. Myself as a, as a uh, simple example, John, as you know, I work with lots of different companies and oftentimes I'll walk into one company and that company knows, for example, that I'm working with one of their competitors and they'll ask me a question like, hey, how does our competition solve this particular problem? <laughs> and we'll be laughing, John. I ask this many times. I say, well, obviously I can't tell you that. Why not? Because for the same reason that next week when I'm in your competitor's company and they ask me the same question, you're not going to be keen on me telling you that information. But here's the way I handle that, John. Oftentimes, by my knowledge of what other companies are doing, I can ask a company a question, gee, have you considered the following or have you thought about the following or what if, you know, dot, dot, dot. So there are ways that this relationship between a company and the FDA can be very collaborative, but um, without disclosing any confidential or proprietary information. But Regrettably, John, at least in my experience, it's um, uh, it's it's not often done. As a matter of fact, I'll use one last example, and then I would love to hear your thoughts on this, John. It's kind of like advertising off-label use. 
you can advertise off-label use very, very legitimately. You just have to be very careful how you do it, right? So this is the same kind of a thing. You can have these conversations, and I try to do it frequently in pre-submission meetings. You mentioned this earlier, um, but you just have to be very careful how you do it. What do you What do you think of this particular point, John? Well, I mean, if you look at the, the like in this, like I said, in this round, some of the areas that um, CDRH wants training for its staff, biocompatibility, combination products, clinical trials, and so on, um, it doesn't seem to be uh, product-specific per se. Uh, it seems to be more of an attempt or an interest in to try to hone in on some best practices. And I don't know how many companies, I, I, I should know this, and I don't even know if, if the uh, CDRH information even specifies, but I don't know if, if they're looking for you know, uh, half a dozen companies to share in each of these areas. I, I don't know. Do you, do you happen to know that by chance? I don't have any statistics on that, John. I'm not sure if any of those numbers are yeah. publicly available or not. I'll have to dig into that a little bit, but but it seems to me you know that you know FDA is is uh, they're very much in a, I don't want to say unique, but they're in a, a situation where you know they get to see essentially everything for for uh, all companies who want to bring products to market. You know, so so they're in a position to be able to really evaluate. Uh, sort of best of breed, if you will, or best practices, certainly. And it seems to me that if, if you know, to your point, they may not be able to say, oh, well, you know, com- your competitor, you know, company ABC is doing it this way. It, it, that would be, you know, a kind of a, um, a breach of uh, or a conflict of interest or, you know, a breach of confidentiality for sure. But at the same, in the same token, and, you know, if there's expected best practices that companies should be aware of or, that companies are doing that should be CDRH should be aware of. I think this is the promise of this type of program where, where, you know, it can kind of raise the bar, you know, as far as um, of what we should be doing as far as best practices. I mean, to, to a point that you've made um, a time or two in the past on our previous conversations, just complying with the regulations is the equivalent of a C student. So perhaps this is an opportunity to, to show off that you, you, you deserve a B or maybe even an A with CDRH. Well, once again, John, I agree. And we have to be a little careful about overgeneralizing when we use the word company here, because there are at least two different types of companies that I can think of. One is the device manufacturer, the folks that are uh, you know, actually manufacturing and marketing medical devices. Uh, but then the other are the service providers. You mentioned quality or biocompatibility. There are a lot of companies out there that provide a particular service, not necessarily a device, but they do biocompatibility testing. They do uh, packaging integrity testing, whatever it is. I see this as an interesting opportunity for these service providers to invite FDA to come in. Let's say hypothetically, you know, we talked about subject matter experts uh, a moment ago, John. I happen to be, be a subject matter expert for the FDA in a few areas, one of them being biocompatibility. So let's say that a company uh, who specializes in doing biocompatibility testing is developing a new type of biocompatibility test. They would like this test, you know, after it's fully vetted, of course, to become uh, a new industry standard. What better way would be to have that company under a program like this, uh, invite 
know, some biocomp folks from FDA to come in and say, oh, by the way, we've just developed this new biocompatibility test that we think is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And if you agree, maybe you might start asking, you know, companies to start doing this. And if you're really clever, John, if you're the only company that can do this, now you've just got FDA to do your marketing for you. You know, because now you've got, you know, you've got FDA saying you've got to do X, Y, Z test. And oh, by the way, there's only one company that can do X, Y, Z test. So using the strategy here can get uh, can get quite interesting when you're a little bit creative or imaginative with it. Huh. I mean, that's a really, really insightful angle to consider because, you know, if, if it's not like I'm going to get a, a patent per se or, you know, something super proprietary, but at the very least, I might be able to use this to my advantage to, to establish the, the ground rules, if you will, uh, for others who may be doing something similar to me. Um, but, you know, be that be the gold standard, you know, in the eyes of CDRH. I mean, that's really really strategic way of thinking about this. Well, I'm glad to agree, John. And of course, the same logic is applied to uh, to other types of service providers, including companies like yours that develop, you know, tools for quality management and so on. So if you have, you know, what you think are uh, the best in the industry methods to uh, to do something, what better opportunity would there be to uh, invite FDA to, in to do a uh, sort of show and tell and kind of, uh, you know, kind of get them to, to help sing your praises as well. So that's the advantage for companies that are in service providers. Perhaps the last thing we should talk about, John, are the advantages for uh, medical device manufacturers. And here I see the biggest advantage. It's kind of like a pre-sub. You know, you, you can think about it as a pre-submission meeting uh, held at your company as opposed to at the FDA. If you have a new technology um, I don't mind. I don't mean a, a me too. I don't mean you're coming out with the 200th version of a balloon catheter or something like that. But if you have something truly new and novel, either the device or the manufacturing process, or perhaps your regulatory or quality system, if you have something that's really different, that's really what you think is good, that perhaps FDA has not seen before, and you want to establish the bar at a higher point across the industry, and also you want to give FDA sort of a heads up on your technology before you take it to them in a submission or even at the pre-sub, what better way to invite them to come in and uh, sit down and, you know, give them a cup of coffee? I don't know, John. Are we allowed to give them a cup of coffee? I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> but, say, <laughs> but say, hey, you know, let us tell you about our new technology. And, oh, by the way, if all goes well, we hope to be coming to you with a precept to talk about this further in a few months and uh, a, a 510K or de novo or PMA submission a few months after that. So uh, this is a very interesting tool. It's, um, but like any tool, it can be used very effectively in the hands of somebody that knows what they're doing, in the hands of somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. It can cause a lot of damage, just like a scalpel. I mean, I like the, the angle. I mean, if, if I can have an audience, a captive audience of CDRH staff at my facility and they have, a, 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 you know, at least a, an opportunity to kind of be ingrained in my culture and understand 
our product portfolio, not only the things that we have on market, but maybe some of the things that are in the queue that we're working on, you know, the, and the, the big idea, the big initiatives that, that we're trying to, you know, how we're trying to improve quality of life. And I, and I can share, you know, a glimpse of, of my regulatory strategy and, you know, the, how things will kind of line up as far as you know, eventual pre-subs or 510Ks or what have you. Yeah, I think that that could be, you know, a real advantage for, for a company to get sort of a, you know, an off the record, but important glimpse from CDRH as to, you know, how their strategy lines up with uh, FDA interpretations. I, I think that could be really advantageous. I think so as well, John, with one small but important caveat. Make sure you have all of your ducks in a row. Make sure that you have all of your closets cleaned out, so to speak, before any CDRH employees come in. Because regardless of the intentions of the program, this is something that could possibly go south very quickly if you're not careful. No good deed goes unpunished, right? That's right, John. The last (laughs) thing that I would mention, and then perhaps we should uh, wrap this up, uh, and this is directed to any of my FDA friends that might happen to be uh, listening to our conversations. And I know, John, since uh, you know many of the reviewers at FDA are personal friends of mine, some of them do actually listen to our conversations. So I really appreciate that. Um, if this is such a great program, why is FDA ending it at the end of September? I think this is something that should be ongoing. And even if FDA does end this program, and let's say hypothetically speaking, they do not for whatever reason decide to to continue it, that does not uh, preclude a company if they decide, you know, in part based on what you and I have talked about today, that the advantages of inviting CDRH to come in outweigh the disadvantages. Quite frankly, I could care less if the program officially ends or not. You always have the opportunity to reach out to FDA and say, hey, we would like to invite you to come in and, uh, you know, do a little show and tell and, you know, get to know each other and something like, you know, that kind of thing. The worst they can say, John, is no. And one of the, the, the most important lessons that I learned as a graduate student many years ago, you don't get if you don't ask. So regardless of the long-term status of this program, I do think that uh, it would be worthwhile if a company does think that the advantages are greater than disadvantages to uh, to continue to build this um, collaborative relationship. And, you know, to take this just a tiny bit further, John, not to be overly provocative, but if the company does extend, extend invitation to FDA and FDA does, does say no, you know, I would uh, consider pushing back by saying, you know what? I understand your position. However, I hear all of the folks at FDA saying, you know, we want to encourage, you know, more communication, more dialogue between industry and FDA. Here, we're trying to do exactly that. And it seems like you're not meeting us halfway. So believe me, I will, uh, you know, I will push when it's necessary to do whatever it is that we're trying to do to get it done. Yeah. And folks, just to give you a little bit more context of, of what Mike's referring to, this uh, current CDRH experiential learning program has an uh, open submission uh, uh, timeline up until September the 26th. So depending on when you're listening to it, that date may be just moments away or may have come and gone. Um, so just keep that in mind. Um, and we'll provide links to, uh, to the experiential learning program as far as uh, uh, that's concerned and some of the details. And then we'll provide a link to there's actually a, a training needs uh, template, if you will, that 
that define some of the areas that they're, the CDRH is interested in. Um, it does say on the FDA website that they'll be collecting proposals up to three times per training year, taking place on a quarterly basis. So, Mike, maybe there's hope that this will be a program that will continue and maybe we'll see a, another period here in a few months um, with similar or maybe yet different topics. So, folks, I do think this is a great opportunity, you know, even if the, the date has come and gone and, and you want to kind of, you know, toot your toot your horn and, and brag about the things that you're doing. Uh, you know, there's the, like Mike said, the worst that FDA could say is no. Um, Mike, any other one close? Last, yeah, one, sure. Yeah, one, go ahead. One, one last suggestion, uh, John, and this might sound a little strange for those uh, in the audience who know me, but occasionally I will take a contrite strategy. If somebody is listening to this after the deadline and they and their company believe uh, that the advantages outweigh the disadvantages, even after the deadline is over. You can always contact the FDA and say, look, we're sorry, we just, re we just learned of this program. We would have liked to take advantage of it sooner. Is there any way that we can still invite you to come in? You know, dot, dot, dot. Once again, as I said before, the worst they can say is no. And if they did, you know, I would say bring it on because that's an opportunity to push back. So overall, you know, I think that uh, you know, although there are advantages and disadvantages, I think overall there are more advantages for the company as well as the FDA. I do think that there are, you know, a few caveats, hesitations, but I would like to see this program extended. I would not encourage FDA to make it periodic. I would say that this should be an ongoing thing, uh, uh, essentially forever. You know, again, John, we hear people all the time, both, you know, at FDA as well as, you know, leaders in our industry saying, you know, we want more uh, communication. We want more collaboration between industry and FDA. Well, uh, you know, my challenge to all of those folks is those words are easy to say, you know, talk is cheap, but uh, put your money where your mouth is. So I think this is a good program, and I would, and I hope to see it continue. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And so, folks, like I said, I'll I'll share some information about this CDRH Experiential Learning Program. It'll, it'll be in the text that accompanies the podcast. So be sure to check that out and learn more. And Mike, I want to thank you uh, once again for uh, joining me on the Global Medical Device Podcast again. Mike Drews with Vascular Sciences. And we didn't talk a whole lot about um, regulatory strategy per se, or even quality management system details. But if you if you're focused on you know or have questions about regulatory strategy, uh, as always, reach out to Mike at Vascular Sciences, and and he's one of the best for sure. And of course, if you're interested in learning more about your quality management system strategy and implementing a best of breed medical device specific solution, I would encourage you to go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more about what we're doing and how we're helping medical device companies all over the globe get new products to market faster, survive ISO audits and FDA inspections with Breeze. So be sure to reach out to us. Once again, this is your host, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.